Welcome to Caribbean in Queens, a podcast featuring audio plays and interviews about Caribbean Americans living in New York City. Let's hear about Janelle Lawrence, a Caribbean playwright repping the Dominican Republic and their play Bodega de la Sol. And welcome to another episode of Conversations with Playwrights from Caribbean in Queens, the audio play series from Rata Productions. My name is Carla Brian Williams. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'll be interviewing Janelle Lawrence, the playwright for Bodega de la Soul. Pronouns are they, them. Janelle, how are you feeling? I'm feeling all right today, nice and cozy. This is good because... I really wanted to speak to you about your experience as an artist because, you know, we're hyphenated these days, right? Not everybody's just writing, acting. I know you do a lot of things. So in this, in this um, juncture of your life with writing this particular audio play during COVID-19, how has that been for you? And of course, t- talk to us a little bit about how you identify as a Caribbean American playwright. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I identify as a Black Afro-Latinx playwright. I am non-binary. I am beautifully queer. And I am, I'm, I was, when, when I had to start working on this project, I was incredibly excited to observe a family, a multi, um, multi-generational family in one household because I really could only imagine what my household would have been like if I was living with my family during this. And so I just couldn't wait to hear the juiciness and like what felt relatable and what also um, what I did end up pulling from my own experience of COVID with my family um, and with other people that I knew. Oh, wow. So how was it? Let me go then to the source, right? Uh, how many people did you interview? Who did you end up using? You don't have to call their names if you don't want to, but tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, that genesis or the inspiration behind uh, what we are about to hear. Well, I put out a good old-fashioned roll call and searched the Facebooks and the interwebs for Dominican families that would be interested in being interviewed, and I ended up interviewing two people from a... Four, I think it's, excuse me, four different generation household in Queens and Astoria. Wow. And that's always interesting because when I think about, uh, you know, the stories that, that abound from where I'm from in Jamaica and then crossing over here, I find them similar, but I also find a, a, a uniqueness, a difference. There's something about the way that I don't like to use the word assimilation because sometimes it seems so violent, but there's, there's something about <laughs> when you're on this soil, how you are. Um, did, did any of that come up in any of the conversations for you? Especially because the Dominican Republic rep pretty hard here. Like <laughs> they are reps hard, right? So yeah. Well, we do. Um, so the two members of the family that I got to interview, I believe, were um, born on this soil. 
And and that was the thing. Like, I'm also American born. Mm -hmm. So it was really important for me to, like, show the sides of, like, the immigrant who is on this soil now and the people who were born on this soil in a household that was less assimilated, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, um, and then in a household that is more assimilated, you know, because as... Our parents immigrated and assimilated. And yeah, we also assimilated to anyone younger than us. Like, so anyone who is in high school right now, they're growing up in a household way more assimilated than we did. And so what they could get away with, what they expect, what they need even is slightly different than like what we people my generation expect need in our household with our parents. And then it's going to be completely different for like, our parents who immigrated over in maybe their 30s, there are like, you know, late 20s, 30s, 40s. And then our grandparents who like maybe immigrated over after living full lifetimes on the island. Oh, yeah. And that's the thing, right? When, and I love the fact that it's a generational story. Do you want to share with us any character that we should look out for without giving too much away? I really so I set it up. And one of the things that I was really excited to do from the beginning was to make this so that um, you could choose your own timeline. So after episode Mm. one, you could listen to episode three, then two, then four. You could listen to episode two, then four, then three. Um, Because it's not, it it is obviously about telling a a story and telling a story over time. But the most important thing that I found was that when COVID was real to all of us was what I was really starting to wanted to lean into because when Mm -hmm. COVID became real to me, it was already real to other people and it wasn't even like starting to get real to like my mother or anyone yet. So I really wanted to heighten in on this moment of like each episode, someone kind of dawns in on like, Oh shit. Like I am really, I'm sorry. Oh snap. I am really (laughs) going to be like, my life is affected by this. Like my family is a, is affected by this, my life, my work is affected by this. And like, what does that mean? And how do I function when the things that like I did every day, the things that I was used to doing, the cycle that I was used to being in is distorted. Oh, that's the thing. And it really is. uh, No one's left unscathed, untouched by this at all. And I will have to pick up on that because I know some doors are slammed, but that's all right. Uh, yeah, no one is left untouched by this pandemic. And I think that's that's why we wanted to, to do this and look at it from that broad Caribbean perspective and look at it from a different heritage, different islands, and just focus in. But I love the fact that you're playing with form and structure. Like, did that come uh, to you before you started this or while you were doing this, you thought, yeah, this is, this is a way to go? I thought about it beforehand. Before going into it, when I was just deciding what my angle or what my observation was going to be like, I had established that the thing that feels so important to emphasize is that every single person registered the seriousness and the change that COVID was going to cause in their lives at a different time. Oh, so as we speak about change, this is like a really like, uh, kind of kitschy segue, but what was one moment that changed for you? If you don't mind sharing with us throughout all of this mm. and by this i mean COVID. <laughs> I, yeah, yes. <laughs> um i learned how to take a nap for the first time i learned um i learned how to do nothing for the first time ever 
I was the kind of New Yorker that would have at least six or seven things planned in my day and I would do them back to back and then I would get home and I would eat something and crash if I ate at all. Um, and COVID, when it hit me, um, because I'm a public school teacher, it didn't hit me until they decided to close schools. Mm. I was actually like joking about it with another teacher that like, I was just praying that they would close schools the Friday and they didn't. And then we had, and then we were like going through the weekend and I was prepping for prepping for Monday. And then they decided to cancel school, uh, and go into full quarantine that Sunday. And I was like, Oh, I did all my prepping. <laughs> um, but it, it really hit me then. And then I, because I had to adjust immediately, I had to change my whole scat, my whole calendar, my whole, um, curriculum yeah. had to be adapted. Uh, I just went into like, okay, I got to make this work. And I went into this kind of motherly, I mean, I'm a teacher of high schoolers. So I went into this kind of motherly concept of how do I hold on to all of my students who are in many different parts of the, um, the city, many different parts of the system. And like, how do I make sure they get what they need? And so when schools closed, I still went into school for the next week so that I could make sure that my students got computers so that they got iPads so that they picked up guitars and keyboards. And like, I had kids who weren't even in my guitar class who were like, I want to try the guitar. And I was like, okay, come sign it out. We can do this. Um, so I would say maybe like the, like April, even though we had been in quarantine for like two weeks by that point, April is really when it hit me. And I think like a few days before my birthday was the first time I just like finished work for the day yeah. and put in bed and was just like, I have nothing else to do. I guess I'll do this. Oh, wow. So you just re revealed another super person skill, which is that of teaching. And uh, as a teacher myself, I want to ask you, I know how I do it, but I definitely want to ask you, how do you balance right? The artistry, the teaching, because, you know, teaching is so all-encompassing, as you know. You use terms like mothering a while ago, which is so spot on, this kind of parenting um, aspect to teaching. And then you've got to create. The artist in you must, must create. How, how do you balance that? Uh, with a blindfold on somehow. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. If that's the, uh, the best way to explain it. I am, my artistry, I am passionate about my students and so I am lucky to be teaching music and mm -hmm. theater to them and so they feed my passion and I feed theirs in this way that like feels really important so that when I do my creative work outside of them outside of being in the school building or like working with them I am still thinking about being fed and yes. how I can feed other people um and so I don't know, I, I balance it somehow, you know, but I think I use the same, I use the same passion in both places and that's helpful. Yeah, I love that because it seems as if you don't have to swap one for the other. One doesn't necessarily take precedence over the other. It's like one is feeding the other. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how important is it for the Caribbean voice to be heard at this point in time or the Caribbean American voice to be heard? in all of the voices trying to get the loudest cry and shout out in, 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 in this time of racial injustice and the reckoning with who we are as people. I think it's important 
for all marginalized voices to be heard. And while saying that, I recognize that everyone wants, that most, some people really want to be the loudest when they're heard. Mm-hmm. And I know, and I, and I know that my personal approach is that like, I probably will not be the loudest. Like, I just don't have that in me. It, mm-hmm. it can come out, you know, I'm Caribbean and I'm Dominican. Hey. So like, don't hey. get me wrong. <laughs> it, it can come out, but it's not my immediateness. And, and because of that, I think I live in this world where I'm like, I have a turn and a time mm. and and I want to make a turn in a time for other people too. And so I think it's so important for all of our marginalized voices, especially Caribbean voices, especially immigrant voices, especially people who have assimilated into this soil um, to be heard, to have their time, to have um, their relatability for people to be able to relate. Uh, All of that feels really important to me so yeah, I think it's important. <laughs> really important. Yeah, it is fantastic. I uh, I just want to give you time now to kind of riff on anything else that you're working on that we should know about, any project or you know just big up something. Oh, big up something. Well, I mean, Carl, you've already you've named you know like I'm an artist of like many different pockets. I yep. have a podcast. Um, called inside my box that's going into season two at the end of april i have a commission called perfect that is a response to an erica badu song that's going sunday i um what else is happening i wrote it sounds like a lot you You know back up back up you what let's go with that one you um, I wrote a musical for my high school to perform on Zoom. Cha-ching. And now, um, I mean, I wish that was a cha-ching moment, but it was mostly <laughs> a, necessity, a necessity moment. Um, and so I'm in that zone. I am directing a show for a theme park, and I'm not even sure how much I can say about that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, we'll focus on, um, what's the name of the podcast again? Inside My Box. Right. So you've got to listen to the podcast in my box and check out their play before you listen to the podcast or after, but you know, they support each other. So please, uh, please give them some love. Uh, listen to Bodega de la Soul and, uh, all the IG. You want to tell people how to, to follow you, find you. Yeah. You can find me on IG at J A N E L L E M A I R E. That's Janelle Mayer. Um, and that's really the one that I'm primarily on. I mean, you can find me on, on Facebook, but I'll be gone soon. So I feel bad about anyone who friends me now. (laughs) You're giving Facebook the old toss, right? Yeah. I um, I mean, I, I, I find myself as an artist, um, my relationship with my audience, with my fans, with my social community, I find it, uh, a lot when it's many, like it's a lot to hold on to when it's many different places. Mm. And I do want to maintain this relationship with like the people who are not immediately attached to me, but I also don't want to feel obliged. So I'm trying to maneuver myself so that I can be authentic on some platform somewhere. And, and I think Instagram is going to be that for now until, you know, I get tired of Instagram selling my information for their gain and I leave everything. And then exactly. you got to find me by snail mail. 
I think that's where we're headed, right? We're headed to always trying to find something better, a better platform that, of course, uh, suits us and our purposes and can really have a place for authenticity because I also believe that that's the kind of artist that you are. So I'm dying to hear Bodega de la Soul. And I know after listening to this interview, um, all of you will as well. So please join us. And thank you so much, Jay, for just... Uh, gabbing on with me and sharing so much of your time and your treasure yeah thank you and please i can't wait for you to check it out antonio has been a fantastic director on that yes piece. directed and by antonio Mirino. yes yes everyone has done such a fabulous job and i am so excited to like hear it and like get responses mm. yes so again one last big up to the team of bodega de la soul playwright janelle lawrence directed by Antonio Minigno. Check it out. Mm -hmm.